Chapter Three of the Mysteries of Paris, Volume Three. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Céline Major. The Mysteries of Paris, Volume Three by Eugène Sue. Chapter Three. Jacques Ferrand. At the period when the events were passing, which we are now relating, at one end of the Rue du Sentier, a long old wall extended, covered with a coat of whitewash and the top garnished with a row of broken flint-glass bottles this wall bounding on one side the garden of jacques ferrand the notary terminated with a corps de logis facing the street only one story high with garrets two large escutcheons of gilt copper emblems of the notarial residence flanked the worm-eaten porte cochere of which the primitive colour was no longer to be distinguished under the mud which covered it this entrance led to an open passage on the right was the lodge of an old porter almost deaf who was to the body of tailors what m pipelet was to the body of bootmakers on the left a stable used as a cellar wash-house wood-house and the establishment of a rising colony of rabbits belonging to the porter who was dissipating the sorrows of a recent widowhood by bringing up these domestic animals beside the lodge was the opening of a twisting staircase narrow and dark leading to the office as was announced to the clients by a hand painted black whose forefinger was directed towards these words also painted in a black upon the wall the office on the first floor on one side of a large paved court overgrown with grass were empty stables on the other side a rusty iron gate which shut in the garden at the bottom the pavilion inhabited only by the notary a flight of eight or ten steps of disjointed stones which were moss-grown and time-worn led to this square pavilion consisting of a kitchen and other underground offices a ground floor a first floor and the top rooms in one of which louise had slept the pavilion also appeared in a state of great dilapidation there were deep chinks in the walls the window-frames and outside blinds once painted grey had become almost black by time the six windows on the first floor looking out into the courtyard had no curtains a sort of greasy and opaque deposit covered the glass on the ground floor there were visible through the window-panes more transparent faded yellow cotton curtains with red bindings on the garden side the pavilion had only four windows the garden overgrown with parasitical plants seemed wholly neglected there was no flower border not a bush a clump of elms five or six large green trees some acacias and elder trees a yellowish grass plat half destroyed by moss and the scorch of the sun muddy paths choked up with weeds at the bottom a sort of half cellar for horizon the high naked grey walls of the adjacent houses having here and there skylights barred like prison windows such was the miserable appearance of the garden and dwelling of the notary to this appearance or rather reality m ferrand attached a great importance in the eyes of the vulgar carelessness about comfort almost always passes for disinterestedness dirt for austerity comparing the vast financial luxury of some notaries or the costly toilets of their wives to the dull abode of m ferrand so opposed to elegance expense or splendour clients felt a sort of respect for or rather blind confidence in a man who according to his large practice and the fortune attributed to him could say like many of his professional brethren my carriage my evening party my country house my box at the opera etc but far from this 
jacques ferrand lived with rigid economy and thus deposits investments powers of attorney in fact all matters of trust and business requiring the most scrupulous and recognized integrity accumulated in his hands living thus meanly as he did the notary lived in the way he liked he detested the world show dearly purchased pleasures and even had it been otherwise he would unhesitatingly have sacrificed his dearest inclinations to the appearances which he found it so profitable to assume a word or two on the character of the man he was one of the children of the large family of misers misers are generally exhibited in a ridiculous and whimsical light the worst do not go beyond egotism or harshness the greater portion increase their fortune by continually investing some they are but few lend at thirty per cent the most decided hardly venture any risk with their means but it is almost an unheard-of thing for a miser to proceed to crime even murder in the acquisition of fresh wealth that is easily accounted for avarice is especially a negative passion the miser in his incessant calculations thinks more of becoming richer by not dispersing in tightening around him more and more the limits of strict necessity than he does of enriching himself at the cost of another he is especially the martyr to preservation weak timid cunning distrustful and above all prudent and circumspect never offensive indifferent to the ills of his neighbour the miser at least never alludes to these ills he is before all and above all the man of certainty and surety or rather he is only a miser because he believes only in the substantial the hard gold which he has locked up in his chest speculations and loans on even undoubled security tempt him but little for how improbable soever it may be they always offer a chance of loss and he prefers rather to lose the interest of his money than expose his capital a man so timorous will therefore seldom have the savage energy of the wretch who risks the galleys or his neck to lay hands on the wealth of another risk is a word erased from the vocabulary of the miser it is in this sense that jacques ferrand was let us say a very singular exception perhaps a new variety of the genus miser for jacques ferrand did risk and a great deal he relied on his craft which was excessive on his hypocrisy which was unbounded on his intellect which was elastic and fertile on his boldness which was devilish in assuring him impunity for his crimes and they were already numerous jacques ferrand was a twofold exception usually these adventurous energetic spirits which do not recoil before any crime that will procure gold are beset by turbulent passions gaming dissipation gluttony or other pleasures jacques ferrand knew none of these violent and stormy desires cunning and patient as a forger cruel and resolute as an assassin he was as sober and regular as harpagon one passion alone was active within him and this we have seen too fatally exhibited in his early conduct to louise the loan of thirteen hundred francs to morel at high interest was in ferrand's hands a snare a means of oppression and a source of profit sure of the lapidary's honesty he was certain of being repaid in full some day or other still louise's beauty must have made a deep impression on him to have made him lay out of a sum of money so advantageously placed except this weakness jacques ferrand loved gold only 
he loved gold for gold's sake not for the enjoyments it procured he was a stoic not for the enjoyments it might procure he was not sufficiently poetical to enjoy speculatively like some misers with regard to what belonged to himself he loved possession for possession's sake with regard to what belonged to others if it concerned a large deposit for instance liberally confided to his probity only he experienced in returning this deposit the same agony the same despair as the goldsmith Cardillac, did in separating himself from a casket of jewels which his own exquisite taste had fashioned into a chef-d'oeuvre of art with the notary his character for extreme probity was his chef-d'oeuvre of art a deposit was to him a jewel which he could not surrender but with poignant regrets what care what cunning what stratagems what skill in a word what art did he use to attract this sum into his own strong-box still maintaining that extreme character for honour which was beset with the most precious marks of confidence like the pearls and diamonds and the golden diadems of Cardillac. the more this celebrated goldsmith approached perfection they say the more value did he attach to his ornaments always considering the last as his chef-d'oeuvre and being utterly distressed at giving it up the more jacques ferrand grew perfect in crime the more he clung to the open and constant marks of confidence which were showered upon him always considering his last deceit as his chef-d'oeuvre we shall see in the sequel of this history that by the aid of certain means really prodigious in plan and carrying out he contrived to appropriate to himself with impunity several very considerable sums his secret and mysterious life gave him incessant and terrible emotions such as gaming gives to the gambler against all other men's fortunes jacques ferrand staked his hypocrisy his boldness his head and he played on velvet as it is called far out of reach of human justice which he vulgarly and energetically characterized as a chimney which might fall on one's head for him to lose was not to gain and moreover he was so criminally gifted that in his bitter irony he saw a continued gain in boundless esteem the unlimited confidence which he inspired not only in a multitude of rich clients but also in the smaller tradespeople and workmen of his district a great many of these placed their money with him saying he is not charitable it is true he is a devotee and that's a pity but he is much safer than the government or the savings banks in spite of this uncommon ability this man had committed two of those mistakes from which the most skilful rogues do not always escape forced by circumstances it is true he had associated with himself two accomplices this immense fault as he called it had been in part repaired neither of his two associates could destroy him without destroying themselves and neither would have reaped from denunciation any other profit but of drawing down justice on themselves as well as on the notary on this score he was quite easy besides he was not at the end of his crimes and the disadvantages of accompliceship were balanced by the criminal aid which at times he still obtained a few words as to the personal appearance of m ferrand and we will introduce the reader into the notary's study where we shall encounter some of the principal personages in this recital m ferrand was fifty years of age but did not appear forty he was of middle height with broad and stooping shoulders powerful thick-set strong-limbed red-haired and naturally as hirsute as a bear his hair was flat on his temples his forehead bald his eyebrows scarcely perceptible his bilious complexion was almost concealed by innumerable red spots and when strong emotion agitated him his yellow and murky countenance was injected with blood and became a livid red 
his face was as flat as a death's head as is vulgarly said his nose thick and fat his lips so thin so imperceptible that his mouth seemed incised in his face and when he smiled with his villainous and revolting air his teeth seemed as though supplied by black and rotten fangs his pallid face had an expression at once austere and devout impassable and inflexible cold and reflective whilst his small black animated peering and restless eyes were lost behind large green spectacles jacques ferrand saw admirably well but sheltered by his glasses he had an immense advantage he could observe without being observed and well he knew how often a glance is unwittingly full of meaning in spite of his imperturbable audacity he had met twice or thrice in his life certain potent and magnetic looks before which his own had compulsorily been lowered and in some important circumstances it is fatal to lower the eyes before the man who interrogates accuses or judges you the large spectacles of m ferrand were thus a kind of covert retrenchment whence he could reconnoitre and observe every movement of the enemy and all the world was the notary's enemy because all the world was more or less his dupe and accusers are but enlightened or disgusted dupes he affected a negligence in his dress almost amounting to dirtiness or rather he was naturally so his chin shaven only every two or three days his grimy and wrinkled head his broad nails encircled in black his unpleasant odour his threadbare coat his greasy hat his coarse neckcloth his black worsted stockings his clumsy shoes all curiously betokened his worthiness with his clients by giving him an air of disregard of the world and an air of practical philosophy which delighted them they said what tastes what passions what feelings what weaknesses must the notary sacrifice to obtain the confidence he inspires he gains perhaps sixty thousand francs two thousand four hundred livres a year and his household consists of a servant and an old housekeeper his only pleasure is to go on sundays to mass and vespers and he knows no opera comparable to the grave chanting of the organ no worldly society which is worth an evening quietly passed at his fireside corner with the curie of the parish after a frugal dinner in fine he places his enjoyment in probity his pride in honour his happiness in religion such was the opinion of the contemporaries of m jacques ferrand End of chapter three read by celine major